Hello, I'm Pastor Rob Spencer of Church United. We are excited because God is at work in our community of Christ followers. And it is my hope that God works in your life as you listen to this message today. If you'd like more information about Church United, please visit us at churchunited.family. Hey, uh, we last week veered off course just a little bit. Um, but I don't think it was that far. We're talking about, in the midst of this, we're talking about uh, crisis, unprecedented times, unprecedented signs. Uh, and we've said this statement over and over again, uh, and you're probably sick of hearing it, but I just want it to burn into your mind. The way through the crisis is to... I didn't do it enough, apparently. Trust who Christ is. Let's try it again, because, the, you know, if some of you are like, it sounds like his point's been the same every week. It has been, and apparently you're not even still listening. So the way through the crisis is to... Thank you. You just need a little prompting. That was good. Is to trust who Christ is. And uh, these times, whatever the crisis is, it doesn't have to be COVID. Um, it, it, anything this applies to in your life that is a crisis, we trust who Christ is. This is the way through the crisis. So as we talk about this, what, what does it mean to trust who Christ is. What this should mean for us is once I understand who Christ is, what he's done for me, and how he is calling me to follow after him, I begin to turn my life over to him and I trust him. So in trusting him, what this means is this begins to change my life. It really changes who I am. It changes how I respond in any situation, whether it's a crisis or just an everyday response. How I get through that crisis is trusting who Christ is, and when I trust who Christ is, trusting Christ allows everything in my life to then be aligned with what Christ has said. Because not only do I trust him as a person, I trust what he said and what he's called me to do. So if I believe that he's called me to follow after him and walk in obedience, then I should be following after him, walking in obedience. I should be treating other people, loving every person as though they are, uh, are Jesus. We love people like we love Jesus. The two great commandments, love God, love people. So it begins to then influence everything about me, everything I do when I trust who Christ is. So one of the ways we do that then, and we talked just briefly about last week, was to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. This is how we respond in any situation with anything. I trust who Christ is. That begins to play out in how I respond, how I walk daily, how I serve other people. Not only my hands and feet, but I mentioned last week being the voice of Jesus. Not only with the hands and feet, but we have the ability to be the voice of Jesus Christ. That we speak and we preach the message, the power of the cross. As I read that verse, that, that, that Paul says, it's not really about me caring about the persuasiveness of my words, but I'm just trusting in the cross. That's trusting in who Christ is. So even how I talk, even how I speak then, begins to take over, and I become the, the, the voice of Christ. Now, we talked a little bit last week about how we can stand up for injustices, how we can stand up for the oppressed, those who are hurting. We can be a voice not to just be silent, but to speak out against the things that God hates. We should hate them. We should speak out against those things. We should stand up for those who don't have a voice to speak for themselves. That's talking about being the voice of Jesus for others. I think there's another measure here of being the voice of Jesus 
for ourselves. Have you ever found yourself in the midst of a crisis and it seems like when there's a storm happening, it's so loud around you that there's so much going on around you that the loudness of, of everything, sometimes in the midst of a crisis, it seems as though the voice of Jesus gets quieter and then all the other voices are really loud shouting and yelling things at us that, 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 that we are bombarded with, with voices in the midst of a storm saying to us, you won't get through this storm. Maybe that maybe the voices are saying, "Well, you made this mess. This is all your fault." Maybe the voices are saying, "The storm's too big for you to handle." Maybe the the voice in the storm is saying, "You're not strong enough. You're you're not smart enough. You're not godly enough to make it through this." Maybe the voice is saying, "Well, you deserve this. God is punishing you." Have you ever heard voices like that? Right? I have. In the midst of something, when I, when, when I feel like Jesus just isn't near, I, I sometimes start hearing the loudness of other voices speaking to me and saying things into my life. And, and sometimes it's just other people around us. We see that as an example in the, in the book of uh, Job, the story of Job, where his friends are saying things, and they're, they're saying things that aren't necessarily true about Job. He's got a lot of voices coming in. Then there are times that I believe the enemy is just attacking, and the enemy is whispering lies to you to tell you this, maybe this is your fault, that you're, you're, you, you should give up, that, that, that this is always going to be an issue, that, that, that things will never change, that that situation you are in or that you're dealing with will never get better, you will never overcome this, it's, it's lost, it's gone. And these voices are bombarding us. Am I, am I alone or are there other people that can hear? Yes, thank you, thank you. Feel free to, you know, that's the nice thing of having you in the room. It's been quiet for, for a long time. I, I would like some like some amens coming out, because I can't see the crazy hands on the screen. I, I want some amens, some hearts in live person. Yeah, hold your hearts up, you know, we, we agree. But these things take place, and here we are in the book of John. We've been walking through these miracles of Jesus Christ, unprecedented signs for unprecedented times, that when people are in a situation in their life, and it feels like the storm has come to them, and it is, feels like this nothing ever happened like this before. It's an unprecedented time to them. They're trying to navigate it. Here they are. Jesus shows up through the book of John as we're looking at, and he steps into people's crisis. And he shows himself and reveals himself in a very real way. John chapter 6, we have a story of Jesus walking on water. Now, this is, this is an amazing miracle, and I think it's one we can relate, relate with well. I can, remember, I can remember as a kid in Sunday school, so if anyone was ever grew up in Sunday school or been in church, you've probably heard the story of Jesus walking on water, right? And, and, and so I remember going home as a kid, and we had a creek down behind our house, and, and, and I, I would think, and there was a, if you went up a little further up the creek, it was dammed up a little bit, and there was like a pond, and I, I remember trying to run off the bank and seeing if I, how far I could get, if you ever tried. Now, I wasn't quite as heavy then as I am now, uh, so now I have no chance whatsoever, but you, you remember doing that when a kid is always, always a joke as a kid, you know, like, oh, look at me, I'm Jesus, you know, uh, and 
and it is funny because this transcends even the church world. It really is even in, um, in, in the science community even. People that say they don't even believe in Jesus are, are looking to that miracle. There is a lizard with a nickname, the Jesus Christ Lizard. Okay, do we have that video, Cal? Can we watch that? Can we watch that video? It's not the greatest quality, but... Some young Costa Rican basilisk lizards are looking for food. Basilisks have been nicknamed the Jesus Christ lizard. Why? This adult male, probably the father of the young lizards, can't tell us. Nor can this female, exclusive property of the territorial male. It has nothing to do with the feeding habits of the basilisk, which consists primarily of insects and berries. This predatory reptile will help reveal the secret as it stalks the young basilisk. The basilisk is called the Jesus Christ lizard because it can walk, well, really run on water. It bicycles its hind legs and the tail becomes a counterweight. We can't know what the snake is thinking. Did it really want to eat the lizard or did it just want to show? It's funny because the question that he even asks about the snake, did he really want to eat the lizard or did he just want to show? The same question that Jesus asked after the feeding of the 5,000, you guys have traced me down. You're not really looking for me. You just, want, you just want to see the miracles. You just want to show. You don't really want me, right? And, and I think that's funny. And, and just so you, now you've got a picture, of Je, a picture of Jesus running across the water toward his disciples with his legs going out to the side. Um, that Jesus can do it a little more miraculous than that, um, but uh, it is it's it's interesting because this seems to be the, the big miracle, and, and so many people know about this miracle of Jesus walking on water, but that really, just as every other miracle that Jesus performed, it wasn't about putting on a show. The purpose of it was to reveal something greater and deeper and grander about himself and we've got a story here of disciples who are in a boat in a storm in the middle of the sea and they're terrified now we see another story similar to this one but it doesn't include Jesus not being in the boat it actually has Jesus in the boat with the disciples so before Excuse me, before we get to the story in John chapter 6, I want us to go to the book of Mark because this is a, this is a different account, but I think it's something that we should compare what is happening from one instance of a storm to another instance. And in Mark chapter 4, we see in... Uh, let me see where we're at here. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. I'm going to read this passage to us this morning. It says, As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, 
leaving behind the crowds, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came upon them. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. I love this next verse. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Now, I like the detail to this because what this said is that Jesus didn't just sit down and just kind of nod off because he was tired. Uh, you know how it is. You've been going for a long day. You've been, you know, and sit down in your chair and you don't mean to, but all of a sudden you wake up like 20 or 30 minutes later, six hours later, whatever it may be, the middle of the night, find yourself making your way to the refrigerator before you go to bed. Not that that's ever happened to me, but uh, it does happen to people I've heard. But this is an intentional, this is an intentional nap, right? This is, they're basically saying, he put his, he got a cushion, he found his way to the back, he made a little bed for himself, and he fully intended that he's going down for a nap. Jesus knows what's coming. I want us to understand that. He knew what was coming. He's Jesus, right? So he knows what's coming up. He knows what's going to happen. <clears throat> the storm did not uh, catch him by surprise. Give me just a second to get whatever is in my throat out of there. <clears throat> we'll all be happier for it. So here he is in the boat. I don't know if I cleared it out, but we'll keep rolling. So the, Jesus back of the boat, cushion, uh, sleeping. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're, we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence! Other versions say, Peace! Be still! And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And he asked his disciples, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Wow. So if, if you're wondering here, in, in, here, here's a lesson. And what Jesus is doing in this situation is he's building trust in who he is, right? This is the response. Jesus says, why are you afraid? Where did your faith go? Do you not trust in me? And the disciples are taking a little step here of faith, a deepening faith in Jesus, a deepening faith in Jesus Christ. And they take a little step and they say, even the wind and the waves obey this man. So their faith is being deepened. Who Christ is is being revealed before their very eyes. Now, let's look at uh, John chapter 6. Okay, so, so this is where we've been at, and, and what we have here is Pastor Robert a couple weeks ago walked us through the feeding of the 5,000, and uh, he shared with us what was going on as, as uh, Jesus did this incredible miracle, taking these loaves and fish, this small amount, f feeding 15 to 20-some thousand people with this little boy's lunch, and now afterwards, after this miracle takes place, everyone's flocking to Jesus, and they're looking at Jesus, and they're saying, saying, uh, we want to make him king. And, and, and they're running after Jesus, and, and they're striving to put him up in a place of grand honor. And we think to ourselves, why would Jesus run from that, right? Why would he not want to be made king? Isn't, isn't he king? Wouldn't he want to be recognized? Well, what we see here is, as we talk about it at our church, on purpose, on mission, 
Jesus was there on purpose in that place. The people that were there were there on purpose in that place. Jesus was always also on mission. And he knew what his mission was. His mission was not just to be king of the Jews. His mission was to be king of all, ruler of all, savior of the world. And if he would have in that moment allowed those people to raise him up on their shoulders and march him around as the Messiah and the king of the Jews, the Jews were excited about that, but their motive wasn't necessarily pure. Their motive in that was because of the Roman rule at that time and, and the suppression and oppression taking place from the Romans to the Jews that the Jews felt if they could raise Jesus up as king, this vindicates them, this puts them in a greater place in society, they can be now the oppressors of the other people, they can say, look at us, we're better than everyone else, Jesus is our king, here's the real Messiah, everyone look at how great we are, Jesus did not have a desire to any longer just be or God did not have a desire to just be God of the Jews he used that in order to set the stage for him to come on and say that he doesn't just love one nation he loves all people and he wants us to realize that his love and his uh, ruling and reigning is for all mankind no one excluded no discrimination. And Jesus said, now is not my time, now is not the place, because they will make me king of the Jews, but I am king of all people. I am ruler over all. I love everyone. I am the savior of the world. So Jesus stepped back. And I like you read through Scripture, and at certain times you see these little things where it says, Jesus, all the crowds pressing in, and Jesus gets away. You know, like, beam me up, Scotty. He's got a little, a little thing, and he just kind of teleports off. And he's, he's somewhere else. That's what it seems like. He just magically escapes all these people coming in. And where does he go? Where does he go? He goes to the mountain to pray. And this is what I love. Jesus over and over again reminds us when all the world's pressing in, when everyone has their agenda for your life, when everyone wants something from you and they think they're even doing the best for you, sometimes you just need to, in the middle of that, step out of the way and you need to go to the mountain and you need to pray. You need to get alone with the Father. Jesus reminds us of the importance of that. So, so now here's what we have. So we're, we're going to start reading this. And in, in, in uh, John chapter 6, verse 16... It's uh, actually verse 15. Let's go back. It says, because uh, this is just what I was just saying. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. And in other passages, and I'll kind of come back and forth to support a few things because John has a perspective on this, but we see this story also in the book of Matthew, also in the book of Mark, and we see this story kind of add some extra details as we look around. Uh, here will be one of them in verse 16 that I'll mention. But verse 16, it says this, That evening Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. But as darkness fell, Jesus still hadn't come back. They got in, so they got into the boat and they headed across the lake toward Capernaum, or Capernaum. So this is interesting to me because if you just read this account... Have you ever gone to like a concert or a sporting event with some friends and you got separated and the plan was like, hey, if we get separated, we're all going to meet back up at the car at the end of the night and then, then we'll go home together. I read this and I'm like, Jesus' friends just bailed on him after the concert. Like they got separated, he went down and they're like, 
Well, it's getting dark. He isn't here. Well, he's on his own, guys. Can you, what kind of friends are those, you know? Like, that, that's just rude. Uh, they're, they're shoving off. Like, where, where's Jesus? They're kicking the boat off. I see him, but he's a, he's a little late. They're doing the door trick where they lock the door, and he's running beside and trying to open it. Um, he's got some mean friends. But that's not the end of this story. Actually, there are other accounts of this story that talk about the fact that Jesus actually told them to go without him. So Jesus had given them instruction to say, don't wait for me. I kind of feel like they were down there at the shore like, I know he said not to wait for him, but how's he going to get where we're going? We've got the boat. How's he going to get over there? And they're kind of waiting, and then it gets dark, and someone's like, guys, we got to get rolling here. He told us to go without him, so let's just do what he said to do, and they get in the boat, and then we're on verse 18. It says, so they're on the lake. Soon a gale swept down upon them. Uh, the sea grew very rough, and they had rowed for three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. Well, they were terrified. And Now, here's an insert from another uh, passage that, that, that we would read. They're not terrified because it's Jesus walking on the water. They're terrified because they see something walking on the water, and they don't know that it's Jesus yet. So in other passages, it tells them they think it's a ghost. They think something's going on. They're pretty darn scared. So they don't know it's Jesus yet. They see this, and they're terrified. And then what Jesus says is, don't be afraid. I am here. So Jesus calls out to them. He identifies himself. And then in verse 21, they were, then they were eager. So they found out who he was. They're eager to let him in the boat. And immediately they arrived at their destination. So we got two different accounts here. One is uh, the, first, the first account or the first story, not, not two different. Let me say that, start over again. We have two different stories. One, Jesus is in the boat. One, Jesus is not in the boat, okay? Both have storms. One has Jesus with them in the storm. The other has Jesus sending them into the storm, okay? And, and, and so you're in here. You've got to think. Put yourself in this position. The storm hits. This is the first, first one. Jesus is in the boat with you. He's sleeping. The storm hits. You're afraid. You call out to Jesus in the middle of your storm, and he's right there with you. You go to him and you, Jesus, Jesus, there's a storm. And immediately, he takes care of it. Fear is vanquished. You're in awe of how quickly Jesus came to the rescue. And, and there's peace. And maybe even the storm completely passes. But the voice of Jesus is in that storm, and he's directly there, and he's speaking peace directly into the storm, and he's bringing peace simultaneously to your heart. And the idea here is trust in who Christ is, is being built. So for those disciples... Trust in who he was because he just spoke into the storm and it stopped. That trust in who Christ is is being built. Now you have this other account. And actually, before I jump on, it, like that, that was Mark chapter 4, verse 31, right? It, it was very specifically, who is this man? Even the winds and waves obey him. So they're very much at the place where they recognize who Jesus is and they say, okay, this guy's the real deal. Like, 
I'm building my trust in him. My faith is there. Second account, Jesus isn't in the boat. Jesus actually gives instructions to leave in the boat without him. Now, I'm not back into the boat series. Don't get worried. We won't talk about boats next week probably. Uh, so so don't, don't leave me. We were in a boat series for a long time in the fall. That, I'm, not, I'm not cycling back here. I got another point. But, so here the, Jesus is not in there. He sends them out. So Jesus sends you into a storm. You're afraid. Just like the other account, you're in a storm, you're afraid, but Jesus is with you. This time, Jesus sends you out, you're afraid. What's your response? So what did you learn about Christ during the first storm? This is what the disciples should be dealing with. This is what they should be processing. And we look at the disciples' response, and it is not at all anything that was gained, it doesn't seem that there was much of anything gained from the first time in the storm with Jesus. They're out on the boat, the storm hits, and what do they do? They immediately try in their own strength to begin rowing. So now they're looking at what the situation is, and we got this, we can get out of this, and they start rowing. We actually have a picture here because of the other accounts that these guys leave in the evening as it's getting dark, so maybe we'll call it summertime for the benefit of the doubt. It's, it's 8 or 9, 10 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock, whatever, and they start rowing in this. The storm hits, and now in the other accounts it says that Jesus shows up at about 3 a.m., so you have this struggle in this rowing, and it tells us they only made it three or four miles. Eleven guys, or twelve guys in a boat, this isn't a joke, twelve guys in a boat, they have four, five, six hours. How far should they be able to row? Like, I would think they kind of got to the other side of the lake. They're three or four miles in or four or five miles in. It says they're in the middle of the lake. So they've got half the distance, and they've tried, and it took them all that time to get halfway in, trying on their own strength to do what only God can do for them. And then what we have is no one calling out to Jesus. Nowhere in that do you have a situation where the disciples are saying, like, like they ran to Jesus before because he was in the boat, right? They immediately went back and they said, hey, here's a problem, here's a storm, we're going to die, let's go get Jesus. So they go back, they get Jesus, they wake him up, like, what are you doing? And Jesus gets up and he, peace be still, calms the whole thing. This time, Jesus is not with them, yet they don't even think in any way to call out on Jesus. So where is Jesus? Why would Jesus send you into a storm without him? Have you ever been in that place where you've thought there's some situation that you're in and it just feels like Jesus is right there? I, I, being a pastor, I've encountered a lot of trials and a lot of people's hardships, and, and I've also encountered those of my own, and I know personally and through with other people that I can walk into a situation, and I, it's a worst situation you have ever seen. And it's an awful situation, and I don't know how these people are going to respond, and you just walk in, and it feels like the peace of God is in the room. 
And someone who should be losing their mind, should be angry, should be upset, should be sad or devastated or whatever, they just seem to be calm and cool, collected, and pastoring me. Like, oh, pastor, it's all right. It'll be okay. It's, it's fine, pastor. Like, how are you so calm? And it's just like, I don't know. I can't explain it. It's just like Jesus said, peace be still. And everything's okay. Yet then there are these times where we roll into these storms in life and it feels like Jesus is nowhere to be found. Have you, have you ever been there? Like, like, like you're, you're wondering, okay, last time, this is the way I felt. I, I felt like I cried out to Jesus and he immediately responded. He, he calmed the storm. Everything was okay and I was just able to walk hand in hand with Jesus, but now I don't have that. I just feel like he's abandoned me and he's left me. And where is Jesus? And here are the disciples rowing this boat and trying on their own strength. And where is Jesus? Well, we know from other accounts where Jesus is. Jesus is on a mountain praying. Not only is he on a mountain, if you look in, 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 where am I at? Mark, John, I don't know. I'm in the Bible. Mark chapter 6. Well, Mark 6 for this one. Mark 6 for this one. <laughs> so, so listen to this. Mark chapter 6 is this account, same account, but told by Mark, all right? Jesus walking on water. So immediately, this is John chapter 6, verse 45. It says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted the disciples. This is right after the feeding of the 5,000. Same story, okay? Not the other story, same story. They're in the boat by themselves. Jesus insisted that the disciples get back into the boat, head across the lake. And he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, Jesus went to the hills by himself to what? Pray. Pray. So Jesus, where's Jesus? We're in this storm. Where's Jesus? He's praying. He's praying. What else is he doing? Well, late that night, the disciples were in the boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on the land, and Jesus saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. It's about 3 o'clock in the morning. Jesus is praying, and Jesus is watching. He's not outside of the situation when they felt all alone like Jesus doesn't know what's going on he's abandoned me he doesn't know what's happening Jesus is praying and he's watching this whole situation unfold he knows exactly the storm that the disciples are in he knows exactly what they're dealing with and even for you when you're in that place that you feel like Jesus is nowhere to be found I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is interceding on your behalf with words groanings too deep for words that the Jesus and through his spirit is praying for you lifting you up before the Heavenly Father and Jesus is watching every move and every response that you are making but not only that, listen to this. Three o'clock in the morning now, Jesus sees they're in serious trouble. Verse 48, he's walking on the water, and he intended to go past them. He intended to go past them. Why would Jesus, in his caring and his concern and his love, just think that he's just going to go out there, he sees what they're doing, and he's just going to kind of walk past. I hope they don't see me. He's kind of tiptoeing, you know, not like the lizard at all. He's, 
He's tiptoeing across the water. And they are terrified when they see him, thinking that he is a ghost. Can you imagine that? And the question is, why? And all we can come back to is the fact that Jesus is testing their faith. It says, in that situation where he's in the boat, they're terrified, they come to him, they shake him, they wake him up, and he says, where'd your faith go? Do you have faith? And there should have been a building of faith where in the next situation that Jesus puts them intentionally into the same situation, and now he's testing to see what their response will be to the same storm, same probably boat, same sea. What's going to happen? How are they going to respond? And to be a voice, a little fly on the, well, a frog on the bottom of the boat, to listen to the disciples as the storm hits. Oh no, what are we going to do? How are we going to get out of this? The storm's too bad. We, we can't get through this storm. And then I can imagine the blaming starts. Well, we should have stayed back on shore and waited for Jesus. But John, you told us to go. No, it wasn't me. It was Peter. Peter told us to leave. It was Peter's fault. Well, everything's my fault. You know, what do you guys think? I'm going to deny Christ or something? You act like that. You know, Peter's just going through it. You know, just blame casting and everyone shifting blame. Where's Jesus now? Someone starts thinking, what did he do? Why did he send us out here? I thought he knew everything. And now he sent us out here to die. Doesn't he care about us? Oh, no. If it couldn't get any worse, there's a ghost. You know, like, what's, what, the, what the heck? What's happening? Could this get any worse? And we find ourselves in these situations. And sometimes we're in a storm and the voice of Jesus is so loud, it's undeniable in our lives that Jesus just says, peace, be still. And we just breathe and, and rest in the arms of Jesus. But then there are storms. And it doesn't seem as though Jesus is anywhere to be found. And when you can't loudly hear the voice of Jesus in a storm, the question is, are you still going to trust who He is? Will you be the voice of Jesus speaking truth to yourself even when you don't see Him or hear Him? That's what trusting who Christ is means. That sometimes Jesus just wants to show up and He wants an unprecedented sign in your life for you to know He is here, He is with you, He is among you. But then there are times that He's going to release you into a storm, send you into it on purpose so that you can prove that you understand who He is. And in the midst of all the loud voices going on around you, amidst of all the people that are saying to you in the midst of the storm, this is your fault, you messed this up, you can't get through this, you can't do this, you're not strong enough, you can't do it, this, this is yours, you're going to end here, you'll never overcome this battle, you'll never get through. Do you have enough trust in Jesus and who Christ is to be able to preach to yourself through the voice of Jesus truth 
that Jesus says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I care about you. And there is a purpose for why I have you in this storm. And if I want you to learn this lesson, if you don't learn it, I'm going to put you back in the same storm again until you learn it. And until you learn to be the voice of Jesus in your own heart and mind and speak truth to yourself that proclaims Jesus and the power of the cross is above all and that He has the power to save. And you just rest assured that Jesus is coming to the rescue. We have to speak truth to ourselves. We have to be willing to be the voice of Jesus. Because some of us are we're finding ourselves in the same storm, in the same mess over and over again. And every time the response is, where did Jesus go? And we begin trying, rowing on our own, fighting on our own, trying to do our own thing, and we're exhausting ourselves, trying to work it out without Jesus. And here's the most amazing part of this. Was it a miracle that Jesus walked on water? Yes, absolute miracle. Could, can, can you do that? No, I can't. I can't do that. But in John Chapter 6, I, I love what we see here in verse 21, and I think we're, we, rightfully we're so mesmerized by Jesus walking on water that we skip over this next piece. All right, move my marker. Now I've really messed myself up. So in John chapter 6, at the end of that passage, in verse 22, 21, I love this. Jesus says, don't be afraid, I'm here. Then they were eager to let him in the boat, right? So Jesus comes and he speaks. And he speaks peace. And maybe they're all of a sudden reminded of the last storm that Jesus just calmed. And when they went to Jesus, they called out on him. Maybe a couple light bulbs came on in the midst of that. But they were eager at this point to say, it's Jesus, let him in. He has the power to calm this storm. Let Jesus into the boat. And they bring Jesus into the boat. And then, listen to what happens. Immediately, they arrived at their destination. You thought walking on water was huge. Jesus just teleported a boat and 13 people from the middle of the sea to the shore. Four to five miles. That's a miracle. That's unprecedented. And, and here's what it means. It's cool. Yeah, cool stuff. But here's what it means to us. That Jesus just doesn't do these things to do these things. He does these things to reveal his glory to us. To reveal that he has the power. And in the midst of this, as soon as you recognize any trial you're in, any circumstance, any crisis you're in, as soon as you recognize you haven't been calling on Jesus, call on Jesus. He's not going to hold it against you. He didn't get in the boat and lecture them. He did not get in the boat and say, well, you didn't call on me the first time, so you guys are just going to have to suffer through this. Jesus again, steps into their situation as soon as they recognize who he is and in his strength and in his power he immediately removes them from the storm and takes them and puts them on the other side of the sea. Unprecedented sign. An amazing miracle. I wonder how many other storms that Jesus put into the disciples' path that we don't read about to see if they 
still trusted him in that situation. To see if those two situations, with or without him, proved to them that he was who he said he was. That the next time a storm came and Jesus had gone and ascended into heaven, that the immediately they just got down on their knees and said, Lord, please save us from this storm. Are there crises that you find yourself in that you're wondering why the same thing is happening to you over and over and over again? How are you responding? How are you reacting? When a storm comes your way, do you immediately throw all rationale out the window and just panic? Or can the church be, can God's people be in such a position that no matter what the crisis is, we just trust who Christ is? And what that means to us is we absolutely believe that whether we can feel His presence or not, it doesn't matter. We are going to speak words of truth because we know what He has the power to do. And we know that He gave us promises like He'll never leave us nor forsake us. That He loves us. That He came to save us. That He came to rescue us. That He came to redeem us. That He cares for us. And we just cling to the promises of God. Even when we don't hear the voice of God, even when all the other voices in our world and in our life are telling us no you're not good enough you're not going to make it through this you can't trust Jesus I don't know he's punishing you whatever it is you just have the ability to say I am going to speak words of truth to myself through Jesus I'm going to myself be the voice of Jesus and say Jesus I don't care what anyone else says you're my savior you're my lord and I call on your name and you have the power to save. And even if you don't, I will still trust you. Think of a story like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Going into the fire and they said, you know what? You can let us burn and our God can save us. You, you can put us in that furnace. Our God can save us. But even if he doesn't, I still trust him. Do you trust who Christ is in that way? The way through the crisis is to trust who Christ is. And not only do we need to be the voice of Jesus to ourselves, there are times that you still need to be the voice of Jesus to others. What difference would it have been in that boat with those disciples if one of them would have spoke up and said, hey, the storm's here and everyone's freaking out, but do you guys remember that when Jesus calmed the storm before? And all of a sudden the conversation begins to change and it focuses it on what Christ can do, not on the trouble or the storm or the situation. The middle of the storm all of a sudden becomes a praise testimony time of declaring how great Jesus is. And you have the power through your voice and being the voice of Jesus in other people's circumstances to sit down in a boat beside him and say, remember when Jesus saved me from this situation. Remember that Jesus actually, guys, do you remember that he actually sent us out here and told us to leave without him? Do you remember that he said he's going to the mountain to pray for us? Are we so naive that we don't think that he would care for us and save us in this storm? How the tenor of that situation in that storm would have changed. You can be that voice 
in your own storm, in your own words that you're speaking to yourself, and you can be that voice in other people's storms. That when they're facing crisis, that you say, Jesus, how can you use me to step in the midst of this racial divide? How can you use me to step in the midst of this terrible disease? How can you use me to step in the midst of the fear, of the anxiety, of the doubt, of the overwhelming uh, burdens that other people are facing in this world? How can you call me to step in to someone else's life and be the voice of Jesus Christ that calms the storm? What storm are you in? At home, what what storm are you in? Have you found yourself in the same storm so many times that you're wondering why? Maybe Christ is testing you. And you'll find yourself in that place time and time again until we trust who Christ is.